0: Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D. bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem.
1: Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 11. This is your host, Blem.
0: Hey, this is your co-host, Mike D., and I'm excited, Blake. You want to know why? Why? Three for a loop there, there, Chuck had no idea I was about to drop this on you, but we are about to go on vacation on Friday. Tell them where we're going, Chuck.
1: We're going to the OBX, baby. No, we're going no, to the o- we're
0: going to OBX. It's not the OBX. It's not the MLS. It's OBX. The Outer Banks, if you're going to open it all the way up, it's OBX, the Outer Banks, North Carolina, the beach, with friends. It's going to be a great time. I'm stoked. Much
1: needed. The beach, the beers, the boys, the babes. Uh, Honey, I'm sorry you didn't hear that, but we're going to the Outer Banks Memorial Day weekend. We're going to throw some burgers in there as well, but it's good that we're getting a little bit of rest and relaxation away from normal life because Mike D, I'm freaking beat up from indoor soccer, man. How is your groin? Oh
0: man, I've been battling injury after injury and I'm 28, you're 28, 27, whatever. You're 28. (laughs) You're, you're my age. If I'm a bird, you're a bird kind of thing. But, yeah, my groin is – is I don't know what's going on with it. It doesn't want to heal for some reason.
1: Yeah, and it seems like every week I come home with a brand-new injury. Two weeks ago – well, three weeks ago now, it was my lip. I basically bit a hole in my lip after going head-to-head with the goalie. Last week I thought my kneecap was displaced. This week my whole calf is black and blue, and I'm walking around working the house with an ice pack attached to my left leg. So we can't get right. So hopefully the the, the salty air will help us out down in the Outer Banks – But Mike D, it freaking feels good to be back, man. We took last week off to join David and Gavin from the MLS Now podcast to discuss some of the biggest stories of the first month of MLS play. So if you haven't already, go check out that episode wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to give them a follow. Mike D, week six is in the books and we have so much to talk about. FC Cincinnati and the Chicago Fire earned their first wins of 2021. The crew in Portland Timbers got important weekend wins despite depleted rosters. Orlando, Nashville, and Seattle remain the only unbeaten teams left in the league, and 33 goals were scored in this bangers-only league. Let's start this episode off with a bang. Mike D., what was your favorite goal from the weekend and why?
0: This one goes without saying. Anybody that watched MLS this past week saw what Lucas Zarean did at the end of the game. Not that he scored just one free kick goal, but he scored a second free kick goal in stoppage time in the dying moments of the game that put the crew in front of New York City FC when everybody thought that the crew were going to lose. This is the goal of the week for me because of the weight that it carries. There were some good goals scored this week, don't get me wrong. But when your team's not playing that great, you have a lot of criticism. And you think you're going to lose. And in the dying moments of the game, you get a free kick right outside the 18. The pressure that is on your shoulders to score that goal, to put you in front so that you don't share a point with the other team is enormous. And when Zellerion stepped up to take that free kick, didn't even think about it. He took one step back, and he kicked it nonchalantly. Perfect placement to take all three points home from New York City. That's the goal of the week for me. Lucas Elleron, pop in his backpack. Let's get it.
1: He did put the team on in his back, and he's done that three times in less than the 30 games that he's played for the crew. Let's go back to MLS Cup last year, and their three-no win. He was MLS Cup MVP, and he dominated that game against the Seattle Sounders. Fast forward to the first leg against Monterey. When we unfortunately came out with a tie, but he willed that team to a tie. He put the team on his back there. And what did he did? What did he do this week? What did he did? What did he do this week for a team that's been struggling to score goals and hasn't scored a goal from open play? He scored two more, making it his third on the year from set pieces. So Lucas Elorrián, you are a god to Columbus Crew fans. Thank you. Keep doing your thing, brother. But my goal of the week comes from Mexican international and Sporting Kansas City's designated player, Alan Polito. The run, the peak to look off a San Jose defender, and the strike were absolutely brilliant. After taking a few dribbles towards the 18, Polito found Daniel Shallowy, who carried the ball back across the 18. Polito filled the space vacated by Shallowy, who pulled the ball back and found the designated player, as I would like to say, butt naked at the top of the 18, Polito killed the ball with his first touch, looked off the defender by glancing at Gotti Kinda to his left, took his prep prep touch, and let it rip. Top ends, there's no stopping that one, J.T. Marcinkowski. I'm sorry about it. But, Mike D., we're talking about goals. You got to score goals to win games. And FC Cincinnati and the Chicago Fire did just that to earn their first wins of the 2021 season. For FC Cincinnati, not only was it their first win of 2021, it was also their first come-from-behind win in team history. For the Fire, this weekend's win over Inter-Miami was their first win in 12 matches dating back to October 11th, 2020. What were your thoughts on their first victories of 2021, and what does this kind of win do for a team desperate for three points early in a season?
0: Well, Cincinnati's still the worst team in the league. That's just plain and simple. I'm not sold just yet. Since he has won two games in their last 16. And the win against Montreal, in my opinion, was a fluke. Montreal created more chances that they simply did not finish. I mean, Kyoto's goal that he did not score. Who, who misses a goal like that? You don't get paid the big bucks to have a goal come right across the six and you not tap it in.
1: Chris Wondolowski missed one like that this year.
0: Well, you know what? He's one other player that we could talk about this year that missed a goal like that.
1: Hey, you asked the question who, I had to tell sure. you. Sure. Okay, great. But that goal should have been
0: scored, right? Montreal created a lot of opportunities. Did Cincinnati show some promise with – Maybe some more attacking outside backs and a formation change. Sure. But I'm not jumping on the wagon just yet. I'm not jumping on the wagon just yet. I think that Montreal absolutely should have won this game. And it's only for reasons like you leave an average team around in a game like this and you don't capitalize on your opportunities and they're going to make you pay for it. And that's what happened with Cincinnati in this game. So I'm outsold. Wooden Spoon, number three, incoming. Cincinnati's still the worst team in the league. Talking, talking now about Chicago, Chicago played inter-Miami, right? Pizarro did not play. That's not an excuse for the lack of offense that Miami was, was generating, right, or was not generating, but it definitely plays a big part because he's their creative guy. Miami not getting much done offensively was not just due to them missing Pizarro, but also the amount of pressure that Chicago put on Miami when they had the ball. This is how Rafael Wicke wants them to play. He wants them to, to to press the ball, to throw them off balance when they are trying to keep possession. And they did just that, but they can't be just organized defensively. They had multiple chances to score goals and they have to find ways to put those chances away because not every game, is going to provide a lot of chances. We saw this in the 75th minute or so. Miami almost equalized off a set piece that went just wide of the right post. So if, if Chicago lets them stay in and not capitalize on their opportunities and only scores one goal, that really they probably shouldn't have scored anyway, this game goes one one, or it even goes one zero in Miami's favor and they lose. So they have to figure out a way to score goals and combine that with their defensive stature that they have, that Rafael Wicke has them playing. And that could start them in the right direction.
1: You talk about Chicago Fire needing to score goals, so I have some numbers for you. Expected goals so far this season through, I believe there are six games. They should have scored eight and a half goals through the science of expected goals, uh, tracked by second spectrum, which we need to purchase so we can get access to these things and not have to dig for them. And they've only scored four goals. So they are really underperforming in front of goal. So they're getting their chances, but they're not scoring them. And on top of that, we talked a little bit about the, po- before the podcast, they're also out possessing every team that they play. You talk a little bit about their defensive stature and how they like to press and things like that. And that's how Raphael Wiki wants them to play, but they also play some decent looking soccer at times and decent in possession and So so it is disappointing and it's almost confusing. When I watch Cincinnati, I am confused. I know some of the MLS pundits out there, they talk about how essentially what we're talking about right now, Chicago has stints where they look like they could be a decent team in the Eastern conference, but then they leak goals. Like right now they have the second to worst uh, goal differential with a negative six. And the only team that's worse than them is FC Cincinnati who we'll get to in a second. So they have to shore up the defense and they also have to score some goals. So, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how Rafael Wicky was on the hot seat. He got his first win of the season, which is good. And did you say his first in? It's his first since October, whatever of 2020. Yeah, so it's their first win since October 2020. So he's kind of been on the hot seat, and he got lucky with this one. They scored a goal off of a major spill from Miami's keeper McCarty. So you you got to take your chance. You're taking your chances. You got to score your goals. You got three goals from Lucas Stojanovic – one of them just came on that lucky free kick. Something just moved in my room, which was super creepy. And Robert Barrett also has scored the only other goal for the team. So they, we, we talked about how the crew need to find ways to score goals. We've talked about what are the LA galaxy do when Chicharito doesn't score goals, but where are the goals for Chicago going to come from? I don't know. Mike D do you have anything to add to the Chicago conversation before I hop into Cincy? Nope. All right. So Cincy, you talked about something, so you talked about how, you know, they shouldn't have won this game. They were largely dominated by Montreal. Kyoto missed that sitter that he definitely should have missed. He was inside the six. He was probably two feet off of the end line, and he didn't finish. The Cincinnati, with you saying that they should have, should have not won that game, they won that game off of two set pieces. So that also says something. You know, they're not winning games from the from the run of play or anything like that. You briefly touched on the formation change. Throughout the first four games of the season, they were playing the 4-4-1-1. And I don't know if he saw, if Stom saw the Sounders and Brian Schmetzer and what they're doing out in Seattle with the 5-3-2 and the 3-5-2 formation and attack. But he's like, hey, we need to do this. And they actually did play in that system at one point last year. But for whatever reason, Stom just doesn't like it. But you talked a little bit about the outside wingbacks which ronald margarita and joe Zhao. ronald margarita has three assists now on the year he just had the game-winning assist this past weekend against montreal and i think the further they can get him up the field he serves in a really good ball with his left foot a good end swinger so the further they can get him up the field maybe they can get guys on the end of crosses and things like that that would be great i think that's a good tactic for cincinnati joe Zhao, he's more of a right winger and They have him playing right wing back, which is fine. If they can shore up that back three, great. But Joe Zhao brings a level of explosion in his play and pace and creativity, which I think is good for that team. And then Luciano Acosta, when he plays, he makes that team, even though I still don't want to say they're good, Luciano Acosta makes that team a lot better. This past game, he had more key passes than he's had this whole season with five key passes, I believe. And he looks really, really good when he's on the progressive dribble. I talk a lot of times. We talk about Darlington Nagby and how his how he has the ability to get away from players. Luciano Acosta has a very similar ability, but his dribbles are more so progressive and forward. And he has a very low center of gravity. He's very shifty and he he creates a lot of the attack going forward for Cincinnati, which I think is is great. And, you know, they went out, they spent big money. They got a new stadium, they got a new formation. So, like after getting this first win, not only should Cincinnati have it, but they both got a win it should up their confidence and belief in themselves to, to go forward. Mike D, do, do you think these teams are going to compete whatsoever? It, before you say anything about that, they also play each other June 23rd, and that could be the dumpster fire of all games. How do you think that game's going to go, and how do you think these two teams are going to fare throughout the rest of the year?
0: I think Chicago will figure it out. I think Chicago will beat Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati will probably start to improve. I think the best thing for them is to stay with this, you know, 5 five-three-two or or three-five-two, you know, in the attack, because we did see some of that, like you said, in um, in the in the, in the game that they they played Montreal. They had some good um, some good chances created from the right side and runs that were made up the wing, um, and and combination play between Monterida and and. Uh, Luciano Acosta um, I think is bound to improve as well but I think that they'll they'll start to to improve I just think that Chicago is they've been around longer um, they have a history of being a good team and they'll start to figure this stuff out as the season progresses but Cincinnati is just they're just Cincinnati they're their two-time wooden spoon winner and third incoming and I think They've got some good pieces. I mean, I love to watch Luciano Costa play. Uh, he's really great. Um, moderita has been a nice light for them. But outside of that, I, I just really don't see it clicking all the way through. And maybe I'll get proven wrong. Hopefully I'll get proven wrong. Um,
1: you you might get proven wrong with Lacadia after he just scored his first goal since his debut. If he goes on to score 15, you might be proven wrong, you know? I might. shout, I might. shout out, Shout out to our FC Cincinnati listeners. I didn't really mean that.
0: No, I think, uh, I think I would like to see Cincinnati do well, just because they haven't done well. And I think some of the things that Jobstown Tom does um, are good things. I mean, some of the things that I praised him for last year, I, I think they beat Atlanta and what they did was, in, in my opinion, just brilliant football where, you know, you sit in, you, you concede possession and then you pick your chances to counterattack. And that's just smart football when you know you're playing against a team that probably is going to be a little bit more offensive. So, getting back to that kind of mentality, you know, playing teams and formations and strategies that best suit you in that game are, are going to be the um, success for, for Cincinnati. But who am, I, who am I kidding here? He's probably already doing that stuff anyway.
1: Yeah. And they had to do something like, let's not kid ourselves. Like they've been terrible. Like that's, and that, that's not a, I'm not exaggerating. They, they've been really bad. That's why they're two time wooden spoon winners. There's no mistake about that. So it would be insane of them not to change something. stom his job is probably on the line. He's on the hot seat all the time, I'm sure, especially in that club. They have some of the most loyal and passionate fans in MLS, and they've underperformed from what the fans expect. And you know, now they've got, like I just said, the new stadium. They spent the big money, and they got the new formation. Maybe you stick with it and run with it and see what you can do. And Chicago, I think Chicago, it's just like you just said, they got to find – they're going to click. Eventually they're going to keep playing the way Rafael wiki wants them to play. And like I said earlier, they play some decent looking soccer and every once in a while, I'm like, is this Chicago or is this like an elite team in MLS? I'm not sure. So yeah, in mean, their good- first
0: couple games, they looked good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've, something just happened to them and they just got to get back on track.
1: Yeah. They scored one of the best team goals of the season, I believe in week one that we highlighted. So they have the ability, they just have to put it all together. Defense, defensive wise and securing, not giving up goals. And then, finishing their chances like we, like we highlighted earlier.
0: All right. Well now let's move on from the potential wooden spoon contenders to our three remaining unbeaten teams in the league. Seattle sit atop the supporter shield race with the most goals, four and second fewest goals conceded. Nashville have recorded four straight shutouts and Orlando city have only allowed 19 shots so far this season. In an MLS.com article written by Charles Boehm, he identified the three key traits of the remaining unbeaten teams as being defensive mastery, set piece, strength, and game management. We want to focus on a different distinguishable trait that all three teams share, the double pivot. The Sounders have Jao Paolo and Kellen Rowe or Josh Atencio, depending on the day. Nashville have Dax McCarty and Godoy. Orlando City have Urso and Mendez. So what makes these pairings so important to their team success and which 6'8 duo is the best.
1: Mike D got a long answer coming for you. And for all our listeners, bear with me here. I got a lot for you. So buckle to properly up, Buckle up, we're going on a ride, baby. So to properly answer this question, I think we first need to define what the double pivot is and how it works. So the double pivot refers to a team playing with two defensive midfielders. Offensively, as one of the midfielders drifts forward to find the game and get into the attack, the other midfielder will pivot underneath or over to cover the space that was vacated. This system can create overloads in the wide channels, and it gives one of the pivots more positional freedom and defense to the midfield destroyer. The combinations of Jao Paulo and Roe, Godoy and McCarty, Urso and Mendez are instrumental to their team success because of their ability to distribute and destroy. They can retain possession with their short passes, spring attacks with their deep-lying Regista-esque passing. You don't know what I'm talking about. Go back and look at some of the diagonals Godoy hit for Austin. And their positional discipline and defense is the engine that makes their systems operate. Because of a numbers guy, let's take a look at what these double pivots do and produce from a distribution and destroying point of view. Paulo and Rowe combined for almost 12 ball recoveries and 77 passes per game for the Sounders. Godoy and McCarty combined for 14 ball recoveries and 96 passes per game for Nashville. Urso and Mendez combined for 10 ball recoveries and 102 passes per game for Orlando city SC. What does all this mean? All three of these midfield combinations are able to disrupt the opposition attack and retain possession for their teams by completing high percentage yet purposeful passes. Oftentimes these guys, numbers don't really show up too often on the stat sheet. Although Jao Paulo has recorded a goal and a league leading four assists. So it's really hard to judge who the best is. So i to give you a very bland answer here and we'll go from here, but from the eye test and what's fresh in my mind from what I saw over the weekend and by the numbers I just listed, I will say Godoy and McCarty for Nashville are the best six, eight double pivot combo amongst the three unbeaten teams in MLS play.
0: I mean, I think you have to just based on the numbers, right? I mean, the numbers are, are, they have the best numbers of all three of those, those teams, double pivots. Right. But for me, I'm, I'm giving a simple answer here the best teams double pivot and not just the best teams double pivot, but the team that's going to remain unbeaten throughout these, you know, next few games that we might see or throughout the, you know, who knows, maybe the rest of the season, but through these, these three teams that we're talking about here. whoa, spooky. The invincibles. (laughs) We're talking about the invincibles here. (laughs) So Seattle, I mean, the answer for me is Seattle. You know, you can talk about numbers all day, but really what it comes down to is Seattle's got the best team in the league right now, in my opinion. And if they were to pull Kellen Rowe and, and put in Josh Atencio or, you know, Nico Odero was to come back and they were to drop back, you know, Christian rolled I mean, nothing would change for this team. They would still have one of the best central midfield defensive units in the league. So yes, Dax McCarty and Godoy, great numbers. They do a great thing for their team. But Seattle is is just the best team in the league. And it's hard to argue with. I mean, if if Dax McCarty and Godoy, if one of those guys get pulled, what happens to that team? You know, if bad things happen to that team. If Dax McCarty is not on the field with Godoy, that midfield, in my opinion, falls apart. And the same probably well, – I mean, I wouldn't say the same goes for if Godoy is on the field because I think Dax McCarty is just a workhorse. But that doesn't happen to Seattle. It, it simply doesn't. And Seattle is also – my, my team that is going to stay unbeaten for the longest. If we, if we talk about it, you know, right. I mean, Seattle's, like I said, that, and, I'll, and I'll say it's all blue in the face are just the best team in league right now with everything, just hitting on all cylinders, their defense from the back to the midfield to even up top is, is incredible. I mean, Rudy Diaz drops so far back into the midfield to assist the mid the mids if need be. And they have that rotation throughout, throughout whether it's Will Bruin playing or, or Freddie Montero coming in or, You know, anybody that they play in the midfield, they have that rotation that this team is just sound. Uh Aha. You see what I did there, (laughs) Chuck.
1: If you guys could see see me right now, I'm almost laughing in shame of this man. But Mike D, before you go any further, the people want to know. They're hitting me up right now all over Twitter, Instagram. They want to know about Nuhu. Tell me about Nuhu. First of all, this guy's only 23 freaking years old, and he's a beast.
0: He's – He's got to be one of the best defensive players, if not the best defensive player in the league right now. Has to be. He's one of the best one-on-one defenders you you'll see. He has the ability to dribble out of the back, and, and he even has the ability to play make at times. He dribbles up into the midfield and plays a ball over the top. I mean, he, he's just incredible.
1: He's so freaking much fun to watch. Man. And he's strong. I, he's he's oh, a strong like bull. I watched them every week specifically because of him, because he is literally like the meme of MLS right now. He's so much fun. And you just said it. Like if I was the Sounders and I ever needed somebody that was like a playmaker and needed to make progressive dribbles out of the midfield or something, I would literally play Nuhu anywhere on the field. Cause I think he can legitimately produce. He's creative. He's strong. He's self-aware of his body, his, his surroundings. He is just a phenomenal player, but getting back to the point, you know, who's going to remain unbeaten for the longest. For the sake of the podcast, I want to disagree with you, but I, I physically can't. Seattle is out of Seattle, Nashville, and Orlando. I want to say the best team. They play Austin at home. They're going to get the dub against Austin this upcoming week. They're going to have a break. They're going to play the LA Galaxy and Carson in LA. Uh, they just recently, earlier in the season, beat them 3-0, so I think that's an easy dub for Seattle. And then they play a kind of hot kind of cold RSL team that we're still trying to find out about. So I, I, I don't see Seattle losing in those next three games. And you talked a little bit about, you know, just they're, they're a fun team to watch They're sound to watch. I was tweeting over the weekend and just in watching the game, I, I talked about the double pivot and how when one goes forward, the other one fills in the rotation in the Seattle Sounders midfield, not even just Kellen Rowe, Josh Atencio, Jao Paulo but also Christian Roldan he's involved in that like naturally he is an eight but he's playing in the 10 position so they're all making runs and covering from each other like you'll see Kellen Rowe trying to find the game out on the left flank and that's something the double double pivot does it creates numbers advantages out wide because there's always going to be a guy centrally that's going to rotate in for you so whether it's Kellen Rowe going to find the game which he does so well or it's Jao Paulo going to find the game and combine it's they're like you said, I'll go back to it. They're very sound in the midfield. Their rotations are very nice to watch. But defensively, I think, So offensively, I think the, the best actually is, is probably Seattle. But the most defensively sound and the double pivot that does the most for their team is Godoy and McCarty. Like they are, they have the most ball recoveries out of the three double pivots i just mentioned so i think those two are the actual best but the most exciting midfield to watch here seattle and i think seattle is going to be the team that goes the furthest while being unbeaten orlando city to be honest with you i haven't watched a lot of them but they're doing pretty well without some of their their key players so good for them and a lot of that probably has to do with mendez and urso and as i continue to talk about this know, most of these teams have a box to box. Like Seattle, I believe one of them is going to be a box to box, where it's Kellen Rowe or Joao Paulo or Orlando City. It's not Mendez. It's definitely Urso who's running the box to box. Nashville, neither of those guys are box to box, man. They're sitting in. That's why they don't concede goals. They've got a solid back four across the back, and then they've got those two guys that sit in front of them. When they get the ball, they can play offense. But defensively, they're so positionally sound, and they're just they're in the engine room for that team. So. Seattle goes the longest without being beaten, but Nashville, I believe, Godoy and McCarty are the, the best two, uh, the double pivot and out of the teams that are unbeaten. But listeners, we're going to take a quick break from a word for our sponsors, At-A-Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we'll be discussing the crew and Timbers wins from the past weekend and our segment, All the Small Things. Mike, Deal, sing it for you here in a little bit. We'll be back in 60 seconds.
0: We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtic's 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time Outfitters create soccer inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting with wristbands for your favorite teams from across europe the usa and beyond each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match check out all 24 of added time outfitters current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on facebook instagram or twitter at added time outfitters
1: Welcome back to season 3 episode 11 of MLS Gone Wild. Thanks for sticking around. Head over to addedtimeoutfitters.com for your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. The 2020 MLS's Back Tournament Champs and MLS Cup Champs, Portland Timbers and Columbus Crew, entered the season with high expectations, but due to crowded schedules and lengthy injury lists, neither team has been able to hit full stride quite yet. Even with depleted rosters, both of these teams found a way to grab a win and sow momentum a week before the Nations League break as the Columbus crew downed New York City FC 2-1 to and the Portland Timbers stunked LA Galaxy 3-0. Mike D., what were your thoughts on these teams' big wins and what does it say about a team that can find ways to win without some of their best players? Well, I think it's
0: very cut and dry. Ultimately, it, it goes down to show the resilience of the team, and it doesn't hurt that they both have good depth and they have great coaches in Kale Porter and Gio Savarese. I mean, that's really the the bread and butter there, right? So the crew are just a really sound defensive team. They all, they they have been the past two, you know, the, last year they were very sound defensively, and this year they're showing that as well. Um, but they just can't really generate that offense that, that they need to. The good news is that this defensive sound way of playing keeps them in the game. It keeps the game within reach, and for them in most cases, and all they need is a little magic, which is exactly what they got late in the game with those two free kicks from Zelleray um, I'm happy they won, but this kind of play is it's not sustainable. Um, it's, in, it's an important win, and they have one more. Uh, against Toronto before the break and Toronto's struggling. So hopefully they can, they can bunker and, and find, find a way to win there as well. But I think that playing to your advantage at this point with the amount of injuries that they have is what they have to do and make to the break. Hopefully we get Molino back uh, things, you know, we get a rest and and get our minds right to fix some things. Um, and for Portland, honestly, if, if Derek Williams, um, doesn't go out in the 44th minute with a red card tackle for our red card for the, the tackle on Andy Polo. I'm not sure that the game is three zero because the game up to that point was very back and forth and it was a really fun game to watch. So I think that the Timbers here kind of just snuck away with this win because not only did did LA's energy drop after that, that tackle. Um, they obviously had, they had 10 men. They're, they're playing, uh, Portland's playing at home and they just took advantage of them there. I mean, after that, that tackle, they just dominated the rest of the game and um, Felipe and Mora scored those two goals and Diego Larry was able to put away a PK that put them up 3-0. So um, what do I think it says about a team? Obviously the, these two teams and much like Seattle, they have a great coach and they have uh, a good system and they have great depth. And so it's, playing to your strengths in those moments, you know, when they really matter is what makes the difference.
1: You talk about playing to your strengths. I'm going to talk about Portland before I get back to the Columbus crew. Speaking of playing to your strengths, the Portland Timbers switched their usual formation from a 4-2-3-1 where they usually play with a double pivot when Diego Chara is healthy. It's usually Diego Chara and Eric Williamson in there. We are an Eric Williamson stand podcast and account at this point. But – Gio Severese saw that, hey, maybe that's, you know, we, maybe we don't need to play with a double pivot. Maybe we just slide Eric in there to the single pivot in the midfield and we play a 4 3 3. And that's exactly what they did in this game. And they played to their strengths and they got the win. And Eric Williamson looked great in that role. Felipe Mora got a brace. He should have had a hat trick. I don't know why they didn't let him take the penalty kick because the Portland Timber has never had a hat trick in their club's professional existence in MLS. But the new formation worked, and unfortunately it came on the back end of a Derrick Williams red card. So before I get into a Jeremy Obobese quote about, you know, players filling in for one another and, you know, stepping up into new roles, what do you think is an appropriate disciplinary action, length of suspension for Derrick Williams tackle on Andy Polo?
0: Oh, man, I don't know. I think that there should be a hefty one. That's what I'll say. I'm not sure about a time frame because I just don't know enough about that kind of stuff, but the, he ended his season, he ended his season. And I, I think that there should be a, a hefty consequence for, for what happened there with that tackle. That's, that's all that I really think I can say about that.
1: I've seen most people say about three to five games, and I want to agree with the latter part of that suspension closer to the five games, hopefully some kind of fines like, he came from the championship over in England, and traditionally that's a way more aggressive league. We saw what's been going on with Daryl DK over there. Guys are tackling him like it's rugby over there, and that's what it looked like with Derek Williams. So our thoughts and prayers go out to Andy Polo. I hope he comes back stronger than ever, but, man, that was a, a crunching, nasty tackle that we, we don't want to see in, in our game and in our league. It's, it's not called for. But getting back to the Portland Timbers and their ability to, you know, take these hits on the injury list and fill in pieces and change formations. Jeremy Abobasi came out and said, I think there's been a lot of chatter outside of our club. Can we win with X player? Can we win without Y? But we've shown whether it was last year when Saba went down or I went down, now with Char and Mabiala and everyone else is down, we'll find ways to get dubs. That's what happened today. That's what happened in San Jose. Guys are ready to step up when it's time. So I think that has a lot to say, not just about Jeremy Abobasi's mentality because he's the person that gave the quote, but I think that's really what Gio Savarese has pounded into this team. He's created that winning culture with this club. And I, I just going back to the Eric Williamson example, like he's fully embraced that. Like he's so used to playing alongside Diego Chara and now he's, he's sitting in there by himself and, Unfortunately, he didn't just call it, get called up to Nations League. Hopefully, we'll see him for Gold Cup. But if this guy keeps performing, we got to see him, right, at some point?
0: Got to. I mean, we have to. I, I was actually kind of shocked that we didn't see him on the Nations League roster. But we, we won't get in, into that whole conversation. But I think you're right with with Portland and the and the quote there from Above see, that it's that next man up mentality. And it's exactly like Seattle. So, and you have a great coach, Joe Severese. You know, Brian Schmetzer, they, they fall into the same kind of um, cloth, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, you're in when CCL. You have young
0: guys like that, and you have – everything kind of comes together, right? You have veterans on the team. You have a great coach uh, who fosters that. It's easier to get the young guys behind that quickly and, and foster that next man out mentality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got CCL fever. You know, you're you're playing more games than any other MLS team that isn't in CCL. And then what, what comes with the crowded schedule comes injuries. You know, you're playing two games a week. Some teams are playing like six games in 19 days or whatever. So it's it's a hectic schedule. So hopefully these teams that we expect to be good start to get healthy, including the Columbus crew. Mike D, you talked about the Columbus crew. I was absolutely ecstatic. You were talking at the beginning of the podcast about Lucas Selleran's goals, and I was. For the majority of the game, I was standing. And then for whatever reason, I decided to go get the office chair and sit directly in front of the TV. And you know what happened after I brought out the office chair? We scored two freaking goals. Lucas Zelleron scored two goals. And after he scored the first one, I said, there's no way he's going to score this next one. After Pedro Santos threw the ball and Zelleron flipped it or whatever to Jossie Zardes and Giassi Zardes went down with the foul. I said, there's no way that somebody can get the ball up and down over the wall and underneath the bar from this closer range. And what did Lucas around do? He did it. We should literally just expect it. The Columbus crew put out a highlight video today of what he was doing when he played for T-Grace when he did get to play. And he literally is a free kick magician and he's already halfway to Sebastian Blanc, Sebastian Giovinco's record of six a couple of years ago when he played for TFC. So yes, I am so stoked about that, that we have a player that we can put the weight of the world on. Like, that's awesome. Every club needs that but then you need the players to play the roles around them, around Zelleron. And I I actually don't think that I agree with what I just said, not play the roles, but we need players to exceed expectations. We need players to exceed expectations and exceed what they did last year. We're we're really struggling offensively, as we've talked about. We haven't scored an open play goal yet this year. Zelleron's got three free kicks on the year. Our other, what, two goals came from D.C. United own goal. So we still haven't produced an actual goal from the run of play By ourselves this season, and I was just looking up stats over the weekend. Just for thanks for the podcast, and I was looking at Giannis as his production this year, and he has five shots in five games. He's averaging one shot a game. He has zero goals. So one thing that we did really well last year was Harrison Alful was whipping in a lot of good balls from the right hand side. He hasn't done that this year. He's getting older. Abdul Salam has looked pretty good, honestly, the past couple games, and I'm starting to question like. Should we see more of Abdul Salam, or are we going to continue to wait for Harrison Afful? Which I'm not ready to hang up the bull, the boots on Harrison Afful whatsoever. I think he's one of the best right backs in MLS history. To be honest with you, he's going to go down as one of them. Um, but I think at this point, Abdul Salam is doing a little bit more for us offensively. He's proven that he's composed on the ball and he and he can keep it. And you know, we also need Valenzuela back on the left. Waylon Francis has done his job, but at the same time, like Waylon Francis doesn't provide the same kind of service and same kinds of things that, uh, that Valenzuela does for the crew. And then we bring in Liam Frazier, who is the replacement for at this point, Perry Kitchen, who we should see next game and Aiden Morris. And, you know, we look like shells of ourselves at this point point. what we looked like last year. Like we still show a lot of the same pattern play and things like that, that Caleb Porter wants, but it almost seems like we're married to that pattern of play and we lack that kind of creativity that's going to unlock defenses And I said last week on MLS Now, a lot of times when Lucas Alariano, when Pedro Santos was at the 10 a couple of weeks ago, that oftentimes our number 10 who we want in zone 14 or in the zones right in front of that in the middle of the pitch to be able to, to create and play make. We're seeing our guys drift wide. And yeah, if they drift wide, they're creating a numerical advantage with either the right winger or left winger, whatever. But I still want our guys picking up the ball in the middle of the pitch where they're going to be able to combine. And Mike D, you're going to, I'm not even going to touch on your, all the small things because I know you're going to get into it. But there was something that kind of unlocked the crew in this last game that Mike D's going to get into. So, Mike D, I think this is probably the perfect segue. If I keep talking about the crew, I'm going to ramble forever. But the crew, we got to do better. We got one last game in historic crew stadium Trillium Cup versus Toronto FC. Let's get some revenge from our 2 0 loss early in the season and let's kick their ass. Let's go, crew. Mike D, get us into it, baby.
0: Oh, it's my turn now to talk. I feel like it's been 400 years since I said something last. So moving on, we introduced a new segment to our podcast, and it's called All the Small Things, where Blake and I discuss a few things from each week on a week-to-week basis that may have gone unnoticed but still made a big impact on the game or the play, whatever it was. Blake, what was your small thing from this week?
1: Oh, man, so I already talked about two of the formation changes that I really wanted to talk about. I talked about FC Cincinnati going from a 4-4-1-1 to the 5-3-2-3-5-2 attack. I talked about Portland Timbers just changing their formation into a single pivot in the midfield with Eric Williamson. So I got I got no tactics to talk about. So I got something to talk about that people might ignore because of what happened after that. Miles Robinson's beautifully weighted and timed ball to Brooks Lennon that ultimately led to the PK that earned Atlanta United a point on the road in Seattle. The ball was great, but the timing was better. Brooks Lennon was waiting on that touchline. Brad Smith was just staring at the ball, staring at Miles Robinson, had no idea what Brooks Lennon was doing behind him. Brooks Lennon, Miles Robinson on the same page, bang, trigger, were playing the ball over top directly to Brooks Lennon's feet inside the 18. Brad Smith, dumb tackle inside the 18 to lead to the PK. We look back on this in five years or even next year, and Atlanta's going to say, oh, yeah, we you know tied that game because of a Joseph Martinez PK. But you're not going to really remember that Miles Robinson ball over the top. It's the little things that lead to some of these goals, and that was one of the most important moments of this weekend to me. Dumb mistake by Brad Smith but good for Miles Robinson and good for Brooks Lennon for taking advantage of their defensive laps for the Seattle Sounders.
0: It was huge. I think even more so was the penalty kick taken by Joseph himself. I mean, we've seen Joseph take some penalty kicks before that were highly questionable, and this one was very well taken. But for me, this week in all the small things, my moment – goes to Darlington-Nagby. And we talked about the crew, right? And the crew need something. They need something offensively. You know, because Lucas el is he's one of the best attacking mids, one of the best 10s in the league. Um, And they need somebody that can help him. Pedro Santos isn't getting it done. Um, Zardes is is just not the same Zardes we saw last season, And, and it's for a multitude of different reasons. Offensively, But Darlington-Nagby, when he is deployed in a more advanced role, does things that tickle me, okay? So the crew are still playing the slow, non-threatening style, you're right, that they have been. Um, But there were these moments that I'm talking about late in the match against New York City FC that show you just what could be if some minor adjustments are made. Right.
1: So Sorry, I'm still laughing that you said tickle me on air.
0: <laughs> so we, we saw late in this match, Darlington was deployed a little bit more high up the field and, and more into the attack, right? Um, there was a moment when Abdul Salam received the ball on the left-hand side, was dribbling up the wing and Darlington checks in from the center of the 18-yard box uh, to the left-hand side. Abdul finds him and as soon as Abdul Salam passes him the ball and in the same instant that he receives it, he turns and spins the defensive, uh, the, the defensive player Acevedo, as- I think his name is takes his, his, um, his two touches inside and hits a curler that just nearly misses, uh, goes over the top bar. And There was another moment, and I can't remember, it was a little bit later after that, where Darlington receives the ball a little bit higher up the field and is able to do that thing that he does where he gets away from players with two touches and creates space for himself. And he did this, but he did it and he went forward. And he took a shot that, you know, really wasn't a great shot. But if we were to see Darlington do more of these things, what does that mean for the crew? Well, we know that it obviously takes attention off of Zellerion, so he can do Zellerion things. But Darlington is, is really good when he's in this attacking role. So that, for me, is the moment of the week, the small moment of the week, specifically that one where Abdul Salam plays him the ball. He makes that quick turn and, and hits the curler that just nearly misses. Uh, I wish we could see more of that. And Caleb Porter, if you're listening, we need uh, Darlington to be in a more advanced role with Zellarion. around.
1: We got Mike D, the tactician here. We're going to get some help. Kevin Molino should be back soon. Maybe for the Toronto game, I'm seeing that he has been practicing maybe on the side a little bit, maybe the Toronto game, but definitely after the two-week Nations League break. But even even so, Darlington Nagby is a great offensive piece. He's a great defensive piece, but we saw what he did in those last 30 minutes for the crew. There was an urgency to the Columbus crew offense. He brought something different that we've lacked throughout the first month and week of the first five weeks of MLS play. So even when Kevin Molino does come back, we're playing a double pivot. Let's not just be very, let's not be content with him and Artur sitting next to each other. Let Artur be that guy that sits in and get Darlington Nagby in there to connect. We have a good enough defense. We have one in the one behind him or one in front of him with Artur. I'm cool with it. But Mike D, do you have anything to add? Is there any other anything that else that stood out to you this week that you just got to get off your chest? Because I got a couple of.
0: Let's hear what you got. I don't, I don't think that I, I, I have anything uh, other than I think Atlanta is, is slowly moving towards the right direction. Um, yeah, I know Joseph scored his, his, his goal off of PK. But, I mean, for them to, to play, um, to stay in it with Seattle, that's a big feat.
1: In Seattle.
0: In Seattle, that's a huge feat. Lumen Field, a huge feat. So hats off to Atlanta, and I hope that we see we see more of this from from Joseph and and more from the attack as well.
1: Hey, speaking of Atlanta, big matchup to watch this weekend: Atlanta versus Nashville. Nashville are a team that can absorb the pressure and counterattack you, and that's kind of, and pressure you at the same time when you are in possession. And that's what they just did against a very possession-oriented Austin FC team. So let's see if they do the very same thing against Atlanta United. I don't know, but the two things that I dream about the past the past three or four nights are Rubio Rabin's Dutch turn with the outside of his right foot, and then he slams it with his left foot back stick against FC Dallas, and he put the FC Dallas defender in the spin zone. This is just, I'm just doing quick hits real quick, and then Jamiro Montero with the perfectly timed ball to Casper Shibelko who takes a touch and just passes it near stick. Pass of the weekend for me. Uh, Those things I I said that they help me sleep, but they also keep me up at night. Two of the moments of the weekend for me, not the goals of the week or anything like that, but two things that shouldn't go unnoticed and two of the best skilled pieces of play I saw all weekend.
0: Yeah. That ball from Jamiro Montero to Shibelko was just, as you refer to as chef's kiss, it was, it was absolutely beautiful.
1: All righty. I believe that's it from Mike D and I listeners. Thanks for tuning in to MLS gone wild season three, episode 11. Enjoy the last week of MLS action before the two week break for nations league cheer for the U S men's national team. Let's go win a trophy. Talk to you guys soon. Peace.